0: Yo yo, yo yo! You guys are too good to me. Oh my gosh! Good morning. How are we doing? Uh, Great. Fall is here. Fall is here. How many of you are excited about that? You want to know? Here, I'm generally excited about it. It just means what's coming next. Yeah. Some of you, I felt the moans. That's kind of how I feel. But hey, it's gonna be great. This is why Christmas is in winter. This is why Thanksgiving is close to winter, because I think the people know just how rough winter is. Let's give them all the holidays that are great in the middle of winter. Hey, we're glad you're here. Um, I'm excited to keep this series rolling. Um, But first, I get this awesome opportunity to kind of celebrate what has been going on around here. You've seen it. We are are at the two-year anniversary of the Players Box campaign, and my job here is to just say thank you, to say thank you. Because if you didn't know this, we are at 80% of our campaign. Yes, yes. Here's some here 82% in fact of our four million. I'll just give you some of the numbers. Uh, 346 families have pledged about 3.25 million now. Not pledged, but given. That's that's important. So thank you for that. We still have a year to go, and this is kind of this is unique. To be honest with you, churches do building campaigns. They, they, they try to raise the funds, and it's a, it's a struggle. Absolutely is. And what you guys are doing is incredible. It's an incredible mark, and we want to say thank you. We have one year to go to reach our $4 million. We want to say, hey, thank you for giving. If you feel the tug, too, as well, to say, hey, I want to jump in to help with what we're trying to do here with parents and students in our community. Hey, jump in at any time. You can get on the PushPay app on there, and there's an option for Players Box campaign that you can give to. But most importantly, thank you, Southbrook. Seriously, from the depths of my heart, thank you. Because we have, I know, I'll be real with you, you know me, I'm gonna be transparent. Maybe it's a little overwhelming the amount of players box talk. But I will tell you this, I am not fooling. We are seeing it. We are with so many groups and we are getting requests for so many groups. I am a part of that constantly. And the redemption that is coming out of that, the health that is coming out, the help that is coming out of that, it has just been uh, just an overflow. To be honest with you, I was a skeptic at the beginning. I'm not even going to lie. And to see what is what is going on, like the wave of mental health struggles, is, man, that's not surprising. But the surprising thing is this team and what we're trying to do to stand in the gap to help has been just a wave of just, wow, God, thank you. So we just want to thank you for that, okay? And now it's my time to jump into our Roman series. Okay, I'm going to lead with a couple things here. If it's your first time here... <laughs> I'm sorry today. <laughs> this is hilarious. I love it. So we set this the series up, and a lot of times Charlie would be like, hey, which weekend do you want? I'm like, dude, just put me where you need me. I, I really don't care. It doesn't matter. It's fine. And this week, Jackie wanted to make a social media post, which I abhor these things. I don't like them. She's like, Eric, let's make a video. I'm like, oh, for real? Okay, fine. And she's like, give me six things about your message. I'm going to say, Jackie, hey, here's the thing. It ain't a great one. It ain't a lot of redemptive tones in it. I said, and then I read it to her, and she goes, oh, wow, is someone not like you here? Like, who gave (laughs) No, but it's so so good. Like, today's passage, and again, I want to set this up, because again, what's unique about when we come up here and teach is, like, for example, I'm taking a section out of the greater context, right? I'm taking a section today where, as you've been with us, you have heard how it's almost like a courtroom scene with Paul. For about a couple chapters, Paul is going in on first the Gentiles and letting them know how they're not righteous before God. And his focus there is you didn't have the law. God didn't give you the law. You were void of law there, so you didn't have the knowledge. So because of that, you were unrighteous. And then he goes in, as a, again, his prosecution continues. He goes in on the Jews now, and he spends a lot more time there because let's be honest, the Jews had a pride and arrogance about their lot in life. And so he spends some more time there. In fact, if you could imagine if it was a courtroom scene, the Gentiles are on trial first and he's prosecuting. If there were Jews in the crowd, they would have been like, Yeah, you guys are bad. Like, yeah, you're not. Sorry, we're we're God's elect. We're God's we're God's chosen race, you know, we're we're his people. And then it's time for the Gentiles to leave, and now it's the Jews, and then he goes in even more on them. Oh, you think you're good? Let me spend some time here and let you know how you're not. And so today, I would say this is the concluding remarks, closing remarks of his prosecution. And I jokingly say, next week, Austin gets the big but that is coming. You say, what are you talking about? Remember that? Like, they give you the good news. Here, Here's the good news. Hey, you're doing so well at work. The project was great. But here's something you could work on to improve your, your public speaking. Or you're doing so well, man, you really grasped the plays well. You played well this game. But... Here's something you can improve on. Or it could be the other way. Hey, you're just, you're not doing well right now. But there's some good things that have come out of it, right? There's the but in the middle. The but is next week. In fact, Austin gets a great section, arguably arguably the greatest section in all of the New Testament that many theologians, their lives have been changed reading it. In fact, we are here today because one theologian read next week's passage and the Reformation movement blew out, out of that. So, hey, don't miss that. But today we get to jump into our section. And let me ask you a question, right? This isn't a surprise to anyone. All you need to do is turn on 24-hour news, scroll social media for all of five minutes, and know things in the world aren't right. You see what's going on in the Middle East? Disgust, pain, war, innocent lives, being lost in war, there's nothing good out of war. In fact, today, we're going to do a thing at the end of service that I'm excited about, and thank God that we are speaking into it, is Pete's going to lead us in a time of just corporate prayer together over the turmoil in the Middle East. So be with us in that. But here's the thing. You survey the world, and maybe you do, maybe you don't. I try to shut down social media and that as much as possible. But you can just see things are off. But that's not new. That is a tale as old as time. The only thing that has changed is we have access to how much things are off 24-7 now. And so if I were to ask you, think to yourself, what would you say is the issue in the world at large today? What is the issue? Now, as you sit there, will you say, oh, it's this group or it's that group. It's the Democrats, it's the Republicans. It's the Jews, it's the Palestinians. It's the filling, you fill in the gap of what it is. They don't know Jesus or they don't know Jesus enough or they don't live the way Jesus wanted them to or they, you know, is it finger pointing? Because here's where we're going today. There was a question posed in the London Times in the early 1900s and I love this. The London Times asked this question. In fact, the, the writer of this sent this to prominent authors of their day. He asked this question, what's wrong with the world today, simply put? And he sent it off to all these prominent figures. And one of the prominent figures who I absolutely love, and maybe you've heard the name, is G.K. Chesterton, theologian, philosopher, man, just got all sorts of wisdom. And he was known for his response of one sentence. You know what his response was? He said, dear sir, <laughs> dear sir, I am yours truly, right? That was it. And I love that simple response um, that was unexpected and brilliant, to be honest, is very much the condition of the human condition. How many times do we look in the mirror and say, man, especially when I think of God's righteousness, man, I am not fit. I'm not fit. And Paul literally is taking that example and he is using that to today as we jump into this passage to tell the Jews and the Gentiles, you, we, were are not fit or unrighteous. And what's important to note is, again, again, you must know the audience he is talking to. Um, I fully believe that pride is the core sin around all sins. Absolutely believe this. Because to sin, to go against what God's desire for our life, whether it's the way we think, the way we talk, the way we act, for us to choose a different path, that is the act of sin. That, that takes a prideful act for me to say, God, I don't want your way today. And so he's talking to an audience again. He wraps up with the Jews, who so the Jews think they are so good, man. We got the law that God passed on. But see, here's the thing. You're going to hear it today. The reason God passed the law on was not for you to grow in pride and arrogance. was for you to humble yourself and realize I cannot level up to that law that I am full of sin. It was to humble you, but they took it the other way. So let's jump into our section. Hope you're excited for this. And here's the thing. I, I jokingly say this. I absolutely believe any passage of scripture, when we open this up together, the spirit is alive and moving. And so, man, what is he trying to, What, what, what is he putting on your heart today with this? All right? So let's do this. We're jumping into Romans 3, 9 through 20 and i love the way he starts again he says we because he's what he's a jew he isn't he isn't just talking to them he's in this so he says what shall we conclude then do we have any advantage i love it nope no dudes like no like we don't have an advantage because we're jewish we don't have an advantage for we have already made the charge that jews and gentiles alike are all under the power of sin and I love this, this uniqueness. As it is written, he goes into the next few verses quoting. Here's the thing. Here's where my mind goes as I, as I think about this scene. Here is Paul charging them to change their ways. To, to hear in a little bit, he's going to segue when, when Austin comes up here next week to focus in on Jesus. Jesus is the source of your righteousness. But before that, he's going to lay out. Here's the thing. You can't have a cure unless you have a diagnosis. Like he needs them to understand just how unwell they are. And here's the thing. He doesn't go with his words. He chooses the words of those they hold the most high. Words of David, words of Solomon, words of Isaiah. He quotes from the Old Testament because, hey, they might not think he's credentialed. But he goes, you know what? You know who you guys will listen to? David, Isaiah, Solomon, people that you hold high. And listen to what they say about the human condition. So he says, As it is written, here, here, he's quoting in in Psalms, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Oh, Eric, are we done? No, we're not, right? No. Oh my gosh. their throats, and I, I, (laughs) when I look at this passage, I'm like, man, this is like an x-ray of the spiritual condition from head to toe. This is what this is. Like an x-ray of the human condition, I mean. Here he goes. Their throats are open graves. Now their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Again, he is quoting Old Testament. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Now we're onto the feet. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Middle East, look at it. It ain't just there though, people. In our, back, in our communities, our backyards, feet are quick to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways in the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God Before their eyes. And he wraps this up. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. He's talking to the Jews. So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Here it is. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become what? Conscience conscience of our sin. The point of the law that was passed down, was for them to realize that we are full of sin. It wasn't to become prideful and arrogant, look what God has given us, and let's weaponize it and hold it over everyone else. And so when I read through something like this, I, I just the way I study, it's like, okay, what is Paul trying to get across in this section to his listeners, both then and now? what is he trying to get across and i'm going to throw these up here what i think this is first the situation is really bad <laughs> like the situation's bad right no one is righteous and the reason i talk about this again is if we we rarely do, especially in our culture and even churches which bums me out we start we're starting to move away from the talk of sin We start to move away from the talk of, hey, we we are unrighteous. And that's what, it's. you could either take that and become full of shame, which is not the goal of scripture, what is not our goal, or you could take you and push you to the cross and say, I'm not righteous, but he is. When I'm reminded that I'm not righteous, it's not about me being overwhelmed with that. It's me saying, I am overwhelmed by the love of Christ. Thank you for making us right before God. The situation is really bad. It keeps going on. They're corrupt from head to toe. They're in need of saving. Their works won't save them. That's big because they thought they were good. They thought they were good because of the law. They need to change their ways and he wants them to feel convicted. A term you we don't hear a lot of, a conviction, meaning that, hey, they're, as they hear this message, Jesus talked a lot about that. How, as he speaks, God, how, if they have ears, let them hear. If they have eyes, let them see. What he's saying is, if they can hear the message within the message, where they feel this conviction, that it would put push them to a sense of, and we'll talk about this today, repentance, the path of repentance. And again, you cannot have a cure until you know your diagnosis. And here's Jesus' words on this, right? It is not the healthy who need a doctor, right? But the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but Jesus, here's the thing, we just said no one's righteous, that's what he's saying. Those who think, They are righteous, but sinners to repentance. This quote by John Calvin I love, we can't really aspire towards Christ till we have begun to be displeased with ourselves. And again, listen, listen, hear me. This isn't shame. And I don't have enough time today because I'm a a nerd and I love studying psychology, they're Literally, I read this amazing article this week on psychologists who have been studying the effects of guilt and shame. That shame is not what we want. Shame, when you feel shame, you're overwhelmed with shame, it pushes you away. It isolates you. It pushes you away from the one that you offended. In fact, in their studies, they found that guilt, those who felt guilt, literally, they discovered, have empathy with their guilt. That when they feel guilt over wronging someone, it actually pushes them to reconcile with the person they've offended. It's a healthy form of guilt, is what it is. The goal is not shame. The Spirit's goal is not shame at all. See, shame says, I am not lovable, I'm not valuable, I'm not cared for, I'm not loved, like all of those things. No, 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 no. You are immensely loved. But we have to understand the diagnosis. But here's where I want to go today, and here's key. See, Paul wants them to feel convicted, but he wants them to repent. He wants his brothers and sisters to hear this message and cause them to move in a different direction with their life. See, repentance, you'll see this all over scripture. The Greek word here is metanoia. Repentance. Jesus talks about this, right? He said, right when his ministry got going, Jesus began to preach, repent, metanoia, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repentance is this idea that, you, you're, the direction you're going needs to change. It's a change of direction, whether in mind or act. Things need to change. And that's what Paul is hoping here, that as they hear this message, that they will be convicted to change their ways, that their ways are not doing it for them, that their ways are not making them righteous. Only Christ can bring righteousness, so they must change their ways. And so as I'm studying this, I'm like, man, what the path of repentance, what is this like? And so I want you to think about this right? When we talk about repentance, we often think of the macro level of repentance, that many have made the decision, my life needs a change, I need more direction, I need, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life, and they commit to baptism up here, and I love seeing that. We see that almost every weekend. That is the macro level. What I also want you to think of is how important this is in your micro level every day with your relationships and your relationship with God daily. That I do believe this, The rhythm of repentance, the path of repentance is something that should be a part of our spiritual disciplines weekly, if not daily. The constant reminder that when I sit with scripture, that it is like a mirror to Eric. Man, I read through this and I'm like, oh my gosh, man. God, again, I'm blowing it. I'm sorry. You're faithful to forgive. Thank you for that. And so we're gonna walk through this today that I believe the path of repentance first starts with this, a conviction, absolutely, that I feel convicted. Something needs to change, or I hear a message, or something happened with someone today, and I'm like, man, I just don't feel right about what happened. What did I do? You see this here, and the conviction, what I talk about is a conviction. When you feel convicted, when I feel convicted, it's an act of the Spirit. Understand this. Jesus talks about it here in John. Unless I go away, he says, the advocate, this is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, here it is, this is where he convicts. He will prove the world to be, the, be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. If you lean into it. What's that mean? That means, hey, today, when I when I say something and it's not like God honoring to someone, the Spirit convicts, Eric, what are you doing I gotta hear that. I got I'm convicted with it. It's not about shame, it's about a healthy guilt. Man, I feel this. I need to go, I need to go reconcile this. And so the first part of that is conviction. The next is like discovery. What does that mean? That means when I feel convicted, let me lean in and say, What? Let me discover what this is. There's times you may be convicted and you're not in the wrong at all. Discover what this is. What is this that I'm feeling? Maybe it's you talk to someone of wisdom. You bring in and talk about it, discuss it. What is this? Did I do something wrong here? And they can help guide you. The next one's big. We don't talk a lot about this confession, especially in our culture. It's always everyone else. We don't talk a lot about, hey, what I did something wrong. I need to confess this. And this is highly biblical. And I love this. I always use this example, which it's, it just cracks me up because I think we read over this. In Genesis 3, right? Right after they blew it, right after sin flooded in and they blew it, God comes and walks. Remember, he walked among them. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Here it is. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Do you think he's oblivious and doesn't know? Right? He's not, no, he's surprised. Oh my gosh, you're naked. How did you get like this? Right? right? Why do you think he's asking them? Confession. Uh, Yeah, but what happens? See, when shame enters in, a lot of times shame leads to blame. Right? Did you eat from the tree? No, that woman you gave me did. She made me, right? And then what does she do? It's that stupid snake. It's so true. Like, guys, I I get it. I have kids. You have kids. You have people that you have friends in your life. Confession is hard. Do you know why it's so important? Because when you confess, you take ownership, right? He's not in here. He'll probably be in here next service and he'll hate me for doing this. My son, I remember when he was young, oh my gosh, he hated this. I can literally see him, I can witness him in the other room picking on his younger brother, being mean, pushing him around. Brayden, what are you doing? Leave him alone. Come here, let's talk about this. This is why I can't do this. Now, do you understand why? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so tell me what you did wrong. I didn't I didn't do anything. I'm like, Britt, I watched you do this. No. Not me. That's the wrong person. Right? Like, Investion's a big deal. We don't like to do it because, man, when we do it, it takes we're taking ownership for what we did. And this is all over scripture. You'll see this all the time. James 5:16. Therefore. Confess your sins to one another. Oh, James, really, seriously? I don't want to do that. That's tough. And you can see this all over Psalms, David or, or anyone else, the psalmist. Man, you can go there and read. I love I love the way he put this. When I kept silent, that's, he's referring to my, his sin. When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. That's misspelled. That's um, misspelled. Guys, I was pushing this out last night. I'm sorry. (laughs) Cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Slash? Moron. Player's box, we talk about self talk. I don't do it well in these moments. You see what he's saying, though? Confession is like this bomb. To give it up to God when, man, vertically, because this all we're talking about today is vertically and horizontally when it comes to relationships. Up with God, when we blow it, confess it. Bring it to him. When we wrong someone, hey, our culture needs more of this. Needs more of this because social media exists to point the finger at everybody else. With anonymous accounts, you cowards, Right? Like, there's people that have these anonymous accounts to blame everyone else because they don't want to even feel, they don't want to put their name on it. Our world needs a church like Southbrook that people say, you know what? When I wrong you, I'm going to tell you I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. It's big. And the final path, the final part of this path of forgiveness, a final path of repentance is forgiveness. The thing is, when when it is vertically with God, We confess our sins. We feel convicted. We discover what it is. We confess the sins. Guess what? We serve an amazing God who is faithful to forgive. Every time. One of my favorite verses in scripture is this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Many times people believe their unrighteousness keeps them from the cross. I can't come to the cross, Eric. You don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. He is faithful to forgive. And so because I'm an image-based person, I created this little friendly cycle here. The path of repentance, really cool. This line is like your linear life. You're moving along, and man, I feel convicted. Maybe it's today, Eric's message was just so good. I mean, I feel convicted about it, right? Something's going on, right? And discover, here its whats it is, what is it? What is eating at me? Okay, it's this confession. I'm going to bring it to God. Or maybe here in a minute I'm going to show you another one I'm going to bring it to a friend that I that I I've, I've just blown it with. The cycle is he is faithful, he will forgive. First John 1:9 says that. And then, hey, we move on. We we we've, we've done what we need to do. That's in our relationship with God. Now let's talk about people. Because here's the next cycle when it relates to people. I love it. This is this is me pre hair loss. This is me before kids were born. Here's what I'm saying. This side, we continue to do all that. We've wronged someone. Here, here's my challenge to you today. I don't know your situations. I don't know where you sit with parents or your children, friends, loved ones, your spouse, a significant other. I don't know. I can almost bet that every one of us are carrying something that maybe I need to get right on. And discover what that is. Same thing. Confess to that person, I'm sorry I wronged you. Here's why I did to this guy. They may forgive you, they may not. I don't know. I know God will. That's why Jesus implores us to forgive as he forgives. But they might not. And what I would say is you've done what you are supposed to do. Rest in that. There are repercussions for things that have gone wrong. That's just how it is but that doesn't mean we stop doing this. And I'm almost out of time, so I'm not gonna run into all this other great stuff I had. Oh, man. I did, I did. I, I'll blow through this quick. I'll just do the overview. One of the greatest stories that I think could be taught every week is the parable of the lost son, right, the, the par- prodigal son. There are so many vantage points, so many perspectives in that story, we can learn something new from every week. And the prodigal son, overlays the cycle that I've just laid out for you. If you remember, if you remember. Uh-oh. Wrong button. I'm going to leave this up here. If you remember, the son says, "God, here it is. Here it is. When I talk about sin, God's way and the the father is God, right? His ways are not good enough for the son. You remember this, right? I don't love your providence and you taking care of me. I want to do something else. So I wish you were dead essentially, give me my inheritance now." That's what that means. And then he goes off and blows all of it. You remember this. He lives it up and loses all his money Till one day he finds himself in a pigsty, essentially, eating with pigs. And here is where this path of repentance comes. In fact, I'll throw it up here like this. Conviction and discovery. It says, when he came to his senses, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. He's convicted while in the slop with pigs that there's a better way to live. My way was not right. He discovered what it is. And then he moves on to confession. The son said, as he approaches his father, remember, his father ran out to greet him, couldn't wait to see him. But when he gets to his father, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Confession. What I love about the story is, here's the forgiveness. The father doesn't say, yeah, you did do this to me. How could you do this to me? He doesn't even talk about it. He doesn't even address it. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And it goes on about the feast. He doesn't even, that is the God we serve. That is the God we serve. And what I'm saying today is as we wrap up is this. This is an ongoing thing every day of our lives. But, Tom, but for so often, we overlook this. Confession, repentance, getting right, reconciliation. And I love this quote from John Calvin who knew this. He said, this restoration does not take place in one moment or one day or one year. Rather, God is at work in his people that they may employ their whole life in the exercise of repentance and know that this warfare with the old self will be terminated only by death one day. Every day we deal with this. Every day we, we can wrong people or, or mess up with our relationship with God. That doesn't mean we become shamefilled and push away. That We should be empathetic and reach out and say, you know what, I blew it, I'm sorry. God, I am sorry. It's horizontal and it's vertical, yes, horizontal with those around us. I believe as a church, if we move into this reality to make this a spiritual discipline, whether it's daily or weekly, that we just sit and realize, man, you know what? God is so righteous, and Paul's right, we're not. But we had a God who stepped out of heaven and died for us that said, now you are right before God because of my sacrifice. But to live out of this discipline daily. When you wrong someone, say it, I'm sorry. That's what I hope this church movement becomes. When we step out of these doors, could you imagine the grocery aisles could you imagine the arenas for sport? Oh my, oh my gosh, right? This is why, like even though it's a hard text, I think it's an important text because for us to discover the cure that is Christ, we have to know how fatal the diagnosis is. And so I'm gonna pray right after I pray. Mr. Pete is gonna come out here. What am I, like a kid? Pastor Pete is gonna come out here. And please, 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 there's something huge that happens when a church prays together. I absolutely believe something huge happens when a church prays on one thing, focused on one thing together. And our world needs prayers. Specifically, the Middle East needs prayers. So let me close in prayer, and then Pastor Pete will be out here. Dear God, I thank you for tough texts. I thank you for brutal honesty, to be honest. I respect that way more than, than a veneer of just lies and deceptions manipulation thank you for just paul's brutal honesty we are not right before you but in christ we are made right before you not works not laws not anything great it's just christ and i pray today as we move out of this building we will be people that embrace the path of repentance in our relationships and absolutely in our relationship with you we thank you that each time that we live out of this and we confess that you are faithful to forgive We thank you for that, and we thank you for the blood that was shed to give us that forgiveness. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: So I know we normally uh, close a service uh, with just a pastoral prayer of some sort, so just with the things that are happening in our world today, the turmoil and the violence uh, in the Middle East, it's actually been going on for centuries, but it seems like It has reached an explosive boiling point these past two weeks, and I know it's left me, and I know many of you, with just a a deep sense of pain and despair, and lots and lots of questions. In fact, what we're seeing in the world is really an example of what we've been learning through this whole Roman series, and that is that man, there's lots of stuff wrong in the world around us, and it's been that way for a long time, and. And how evil can prevail when there is a, a, not a clear understanding of the true nature of God. Um, and the, so the question on many of our hearts is, is this, what can I do? What can we do? What, what's the response of the, of the local church? What should that be? And how do I even pray? And I just want you to know, first of all, that, that God is always deeply pained at human suffering, especially when it involves a, a disregard for the value of human life. And one of the occasions in Jesus' earthly ministry that I'm thinking about was when he was looking over a city of people, full of people that he deeply cared for, and, and he saw what he called sheep without a shepherd. There were people made in, in the image of God, and yet they were very, very vulnerable and seemed like they had no sense of direction, not knowing what to do. And the Bible just says that Jesus just, he wept. He just cried. Unfortunately, history is full of similar examples and of the atrocities and violence of what we're seeing, and and sadly, the truth is that many of these are done in the very name of religion. So what is your and my responsibility? What what do we do? And maybe there might be more tangible uh, humanitarian opportunities uh, maybe later on, but first and foremost, this is what we can do. When Paul was talking to the Philippian church, this is what he said. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I know some people say, well, prayer is just kind of an excuse for inactivity. And maybe it seems like it's trite, but that would not be the opinion of James, the brother of Jesus, when he said this in, in his epistle. He said, is any of you in trouble? He should pray. And then he said later on, the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. And so again, most Sundays we kind of just close with a pastoral prayer and then we all exit in the room. And what I'd like for us to do today is something a little different. I'd like for all of us just to be prayers, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything awkward or or uncomfortable, but I'd just like for you to just sit and just reflect and pray uh, yourself. If you want to grab someone else to pray with, that's fine, but just sit for a couple minutes, would you, and just just think and reflect. On the side screens and behind me are four prayer um, suggestions. You may want to take a picture of them, and they'll be actually posted on social media, on South Park social media later this week. So this is something you can pray about on a daily basis, either yourself or your families. But pray for this. Pray, first of all, that the families that are suffering the loss of loved ones as a result of violence and bloodshed or have had loved ones abducted, pray for peace and hope and the safe return of their families. And these are going to be continued on and be scrolling throughout the next couple minutes. Pray for those that have been taught since childhood the ideology that other human beings, just because they're different than them, racially, religiously, or even ethically, have somehow less value or worth. And because of that, they are viewed as enemies or even hated. Pray that God would change their minds and hearts. Pray for wisdom of the world leaders that are directly involved in this war and Throughout our world and for their responses and for the safety of all innocent civilians then last of all pray for a global revival where hearts would turn to god the god of the scriptures who loves all people and desires for all to come to repentance and it's through his goodness not war and the violence his goodness where hearts are turned to him so just for the next couple minutes just just remain in your seats and Pray through these four prayer suggestions and then at your discretion just kind of quietly uh, respect others that may still be sitting there you can move to the communion tables and there take those emblems which again re- represent and remind us of, of the suffering of Jesus but also of the hope that we have in him and then just reflectively go ahead and leave the room whenever you see fit to it so let's just enter into this time of personal reflection and again at your discretion move to the communion tables or exit with respect for others, and let us